0: Love, Hope, Radio.
1: Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V-Radio.
0: Hello, and welcome to this edition of V-Radio. Tonight's show, we um, have a guest on from Zeitgeist, Mexico. Um, first of all, before we get started, I want to thank everybody who has donated so far to keep me out of trouble, essentially, and able to continue to bring you these broadcasts. Um, you can check out my website, vradio.org v Um There you will find archives of previous shows. In addition to that, you can find my must-see TV list, which is a list of free documentaries that I highly recommend for understanding this direction. So um, first of all, I'm going to introduce my guest, uh, Mr. Cruz. Um, I would like you to go ahead and introduce
1: yourself to the audience. Hello, everyone. I, uh, I'm listening to one uh, echo in the background. Did you hear it?
0: Yeah. Not so bad.
1: Continue. Okay. Uh, well, like I said, I'm, I'm from Mexico City. I'm 35 years old, and I'm a member of the Mexico City chapter. And um, I'd like to talk to you today uh, a little bit about uh, a brief history of Mexico City, the problems of your. Dealing with right now uh, the uh, immigration problem, the war in and uh, basically all
0: that. All right. Well, um, see if you can work on your volume a little bit because you're just a little bit quiet. Um, other than that, the uh, the first question I actually ask every guest before you know I have them on V Radio is I ask them, um, you know, how did you discover the movement? Um, Essentially, you know, and maybe even before Zeitgeist itself, like when you discovered that, we should probably cover just what got you out of the box, so to speak, what made you think that, hey, maybe, you know, the system is not good enough for me. I need to move on to something else. So let's start with that part.
1: Okay. Am I a bit louder now?
0: Not much louder. Can you turn it up even more?
1: Okay.
0: How about now? That's perfect.
1: Okay, go ahead. Okay, um, I think it was two years ago when I, when I saw Save Guys Addendum, and it really made a huge impact in me. I thought it was revolutionary. I thought it was, I thought it was so strong. And, uh, I mean, I, I've seen hundreds of documentaries in my life, but uh, Addendum simply was uh, straight to the point so strong, and so straightforward. So basically, yeah, Zeitgeist Addendum made a huge impact in me, and I decided to do something about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. Um, now, I mean, even before
0: Adendum, you Addendum, know, you said you've seen a lot of documentaries, was... Was there a precipice in your, in your you know, basically in your life where you kind of determined that you wanted to look at things outside the box and, you know, basically, I mean, things beyond what maybe the average even person from Mexico thinks about? I mean, it's like, you know, for me, it was Ron Paul, for example, a presidential candidate who actually seemed to be honest is what caused me a think interest. Um, was there anything that happened in Mexico, perhaps, that made you start thinking, you know, the, the system is just not right and, and we need to do something different?
1: Well, tell me about it. Mexico City is full of problems, and ever since I was a kid, I always knew that things were so messed up in every way. So it wasn't really, it wasn't really hard for me to realize that I had to contribute to something, with something, you know. So for me, it I I I, I have always been uh, a bit against the system, a bit, uh, you know. Uh, so uh open minded about everything, so it was quite easy for me to to make this transition and becoming a bit uh how do you call it to uh to, to to help social things and and all that you know it wasn't so hard for me to realize that cool all right well um the
0: listeners say you're coming in loud and clear if that's not the case folks let us know um just so like if necessary we can reconnect although my my chat room just died.
1: Are all this, this repetition of the of the recording in the background is is, is common. Um, no, actually, you do sound a little strange, and there's also no. Kind no of, I'm talking. I, I'm I'm listening to the to the to the everything I just said previously. <laughs> yeah. it, is, is this normal? Uh, what you should do
0: is pause the show. It's because you have the link to the show open, um, and then that way you'll still hear it because you'll still hear me. And then that'll basically get rid of that effect. Oh, okay. Let me check the... But um, you actually sound a lot better now, too, which is good. Um, that may also clean up your sound. But in any case, uh, well, um, I know that you you basically put together something. I mean, you had contacted me a while ago and wanted to talk about Mexico. And um, judging from what you've told me, I think that, that Americans in particular really have a lot of misconceptions about Mexico So, um, I know that you've prepared essentially a presentation. Um, Uh Let's go ahead and uh, start it and, like, you know, maybe pause it every now and then and discuss what it is that you brought up
1: so far. Okay. I'd like to start talking a bit about uh, Mexico's history, a brief history about Mexico. I don't want to make this too long. Wait, hold on a second. That was my son. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) Okay. uh, A brief history of Mexico, I'd like to start with. Uh, so we can have a, um, a bigger picture of what of of like you said, of the, the the perception of the people has about this country, that we don't fight, that we don't defend our rights, that we that we let our politicians to be corrupted and all that. So I like to talk a bit, a bit uh, about the uh, a brief history about this country. Sure, go ahead. Okay. Back in the year 1492, Christopher Columbus arrived to what is known today as America. A few years later, a man named Hernan Cortes managed to conquer and destroy hundreds of cities and native villages throughout Mexico and South America. Millions of natives were massacred. Thousands of years of history and knowledge of astronomy, alchemy, science, chemistry, medicine, gastronomy, and much more were simply crushed down by the Spanish crown. Hernán Cortés took advantage of many things to achieve his domination and conquering goals. He learned that in the Mexican territory, there were hundreds of separated cities, tribes, and villages that often spoke different languages and shared traditions. Cortés soon realized that many of these ancient tribes didn't necessarily get along with each other for many reasons, These tribes and natives often preferred to live isolated in order to maintain peace and respect from one another. The biggest obstacle for Cortes' ambition to conquer the region was, was, for instance, Tenochtitlan, one of the biggest local empires at the time. They were known as the Mexicas or Aztecs, who had gathered enough control and power in Central America, collecting taxes and wealth from many other surrounding tribal groups. Please note that when I say tribal groups, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of organized individuals in huge tribal communities. The Aztecs and the Mayans, throughout hundreds of years, managed to accumulate an empire as impressive as the Egyptian empire. They built hundreds of pyramids and huge, breathtaking constructions they were respected, supported, and hated as well by many smaller cities and tribes. Due to this taxing system that that Tenochtitlan had imposed on many surrounding communities in the vast Central America, Cortes quickly learned this and used it against the Aztec Empire. He somehow managed to build alliances with the enemies of the Mexica regime. And after about 50 years of bloodbaths, and massacred, America and its local people were finally defeated and conquered by the Spanish crown. But but the fighting continued, nonetheless, for another 150 years in many separated regions and communities. But eventually, people were finally defeated into submission. Millions of natives died in the constant confrontations. The local natives were indoctrinated with the Catholic Church and remained to be treated as slaves for a very long time after that. 200 years later, in the year 1810, the revolution came and Mexico declared its war of independence. Its war of independence from Spain. Massive revolts were a constant back in those days. 11 years of war and bloodbaths followed, until the ruling elites at the time decided to change their strategy finding themselves unable to handle the angry masses anymore. So in order to maintain their control, they decided to create massive propaganda to make the poor people believe that they had won, that they were now free from slavery, and their country was now officially an independent republic that would take care of its own people by its own right and under its own laws. But ever since, nothing substantial has really changed in Mexico. For some strange reason, the same names and families kept on ruling the country. Plenty of massive revolts and bloodbaths have occurred throughout Mexico's history. Several paramilitary armed groups have been gathered, demanding justice for the poorest classes, defending their land against the corporations. So to say that Mexicans haven't fought, it's pretty much an understatement. The industrial revolution socialism, and capitalism came along to make things even worse. Mexico, ever since, has been kidnapped by a few super-rich families and elites, just like the U.S. has been secretly manipulated by the Rothschilds, the British Brown, the Rockefellers, the Goldsmiths, and the European banking pioneers. Mexico, as well, remains controlled by a bunch of local and international banking thieves, as well as local and foreign corporate sharks that dictate what can or cannot be done in this country. As the documentary addendum wisely states, the worldwide rich power elite don't really care who gets elected in any given country, as long as they are willing to obey and abide by their rules. Those presidents that refuse to kneel down to the imperial powers will be demonized, overthrown, or assassinated. The international banking cartels and the worldwide corporations represent the head of the global power elite, handled by the U.S., the U.K., Germany, France, Israel, Canada, and some others. And as many of us know, it's it's not about presidents, but corporate sharks and bankers, ruining the whole show, running the whole show. The U.S. with its military power, for instance is considered to be the right arm that holds the machine gun for the global corporations. Mexico, as well as most countries in the world, is becoming more and more unstable as this situation continues. People find themselves unable to find jobs to satisfy even their basic needs. So they are literally forced to migrate to the big cities in Mexico and other countries. Let's actually pause there for just a moment, um, since that's kind of moving into a different
0: topic. Um, okay. I want to comment a little bit about, first of all, on the history um, and how similar this really sounds to things that you see kind of as a pattern everywhere. Um, and it's actually very interesting to hear all of that. I'm actually glad you gave me that history because it hadn't really occurred to me. Now, um, I'm kind of curious. Um, a lot of people theorize, for example, that one of the major reasons that the United States broke off from the British crown was the insistence on the uh, essentially on using the, the central banking systems of England. Now, do they have a similar Situation in Mexico, or or do you know you know basically anything about the banking situation before the Mexican Revolution, or what were the motives essentially for the Mexican Revolution?
1: Well, it was slavery. You know, back in the in the 1800s, it was typical to have uh, slaves in many in many countries from from Africa, from South America, from from everywhere. So basically, at first, at the, at the beginning, in, in the days of the independence war, it was mostly about the uh, the uh, slavery issue right, and, and, and the mistreatment of, of the of the local natives. So people were so poor, so uh, unable to buy anything to eat, basically, so they just exploded with this uh, huge anger and... and, and after eleven years, eleven years of, of intense confrontations with the with the state's uh, police department, they the, the, the ruling elites just decided to to let them to make them believe that they had won. So, so that's the, actually yeah, that's, that's actually a, a really important point because
0: I think that we we have that same problem here in the United States that people believe that the founding fathers were were the victors unto themselves and that. And that they basically won this great battle that set us all free. But when you actually study what took place, um, particularly in the drafting of the constitution and how they took the power away from the people to ratify the constitution and instead gave it to this delegate system of elected elites. Um, those were the people who got the basically they changed it from it used to be to ratify the constitution, you had to you had to get a vote from every colony. Um, Then that would be uh, tallying votes from every individual town. You'd have a town meeting, and everybody would show up and vote. There was none of this, you elect a politician, and then he does things for you. They could not get a constitution drafted with slavery in it if if they had it that way, because most people in the United States did not approve of slavery, at least not in the, the northern states. The southern states, on the other hand, they were completely dependent upon slave labor, now, I've told this story many times on V-Radio, so I won't go through the whole thing, but basically what it amounts to is that I think a lot of Americans believe that, you know, the founding fathers were, these, were their great saviors and liberators, but also just as, you know, when it comes to Mexico, you said you see that the pattern that the same people keep ruling Mexico, and it's right. basically the same thing here in the United States. It's not always the same families, but there's no such thing as a poor president. I you know.
1: I mean, it's the same thing everywhere. I mean, where there are reached elites... Are the ones who decide who gets to be the next president, and and if they need a poor-looking president, they will use it in in order to make the poor people believe that this guy is on their side because he's poor because he came from a poor background. So it's all the same mumbo jumbo everywhere. So. Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I just I go I kind of wanted to point out those those aspects that are kind of commonalities because I'm trying to help people understand and draw parallels to what's going on in Mexico. Um, and the fact that it's going on in Mexico as well as in other countries kind of lends credence to our theories about how, you know, a rich elite will in fact try to dominate the world if you let them, um, okay. you know, and basically um, that's kind of why I wanted to comment on that a little bit. And, and what you're talking about next kind of goes into Mexico in the present. And you're talking about the baby boomer effect in Mexico and yeah. it's essentially that Americans are now going to Mexico and taking advantage of the economy and not just from the distance, but also in Mexico itself. Please go ahead and elaborate. I'm gonna talk about
1: that in a little while, I Oh, I'm
0: sorry, I thought you were getting into it. Go ahead and read no. what you had next then, I apologize. I'm right
1: <laughs> Go ahead. As I was saying, there are, there are now hundreds of deserted and abandoned towns and villages throughout the Mexican territory. Poor families and all kinds of workers migrate to the biggest cities in Mexico, such as the Federal District, Guadalajara, Monterrey, and so forth. Thousands of arable lands are left behind, and the big cities are getting extremely crowded and therefore heavily polluted. The transportation gets more and more complicated every day, not to mention the distribution of water and other basic resources. Those unable to find a job in the main Mexican cities are forced to migrate to the U.S., Canada, or Europe, and they know that they won't be welcome at all. And even so, they leave their families, communities, for a little hope of a better life, which often comes with a huge prize. Many people die every year trying to cross international borders. Mexicans and Latin Americans, Cubans, Chinese, Africans, and so forth. Many conservatives in the U.S. say, for instance, oh, those damn Mexicans, why can't they just stop? Why can't they just fix their corrupt political system so they don't have to migrate illegally? Well, if you think that capitalism can actually be fixed and honest politicians can be made to last, gosh, please give us a recipe, because we certainly can't. Mexico is also a heavy migration receiver. Thousands of people from South America, Europe, Asia, the Middle East come here to live permanently every year. I personally have work buddies from Argentina, Guatemala, Cuba, Venezuela, Sweden, and even two guys from Armenia, which used to be part of the Russian Federation. But what is really scary is the fact that Mexico is now heavily infested with local and foreign corporations such as Walmart, Hallmark, Home Depot, Sears, Liverpool stores, Carrefour, McDonald's, Ford, Volkswagen, cell phone companies and all kinds of corporations that every year come to destroy hundreds of thousands of family-based businesses everywhere they go. Mexico used to be a country full with family shoe stores, little grocery stores, little appliance and repair shops, and all kinds of family-based businesses, but now even more than half of them have disappeared due due to this local and global corporate invasion. So illegal integration is not going to stop anytime soon worldwide. Not in America, not in Europe, not in Asia, not in the Middle East, not in Africa. On the contrary, it's going to keep growing desperately and even more uncontrollably. And surprisingly, local and foreign corporate sharks are not the only ones having a piece of the Mexican pie nowadays. I found a report conducted by a local university which details the migration of the baby boomers to Mexico, not to mention several web articles covering this subject. The term baby boomer, for those who may not know, is a moniker popularized in North North America to describe people born between 1946 and 1964. Although the group has been further subdivided by generational researchers into two subgroups, those born born between 1946 and 1953, and those between 1954 and 1964, respectively. As the baby boomers grew up, they became net beneficiaries of a post-war economic prosperity, coupled with a a panoply of benefits which emerged as new inventions and technologies were developed. The generations born during the baby boomer also managed to build up substantial wealth and assets and today are acknowledged as the most prosperous and well-heeled generation in known history. It is estimated that there are 76 million baby boomers just in the U.S. So what does this this, uh, baby boomer migration mean to Mexico? Well, to begin with, We are talking about thousands of baby boomers and retirees from the U.S., Canada, and various European countries, migrating to Mexico every year. (coughs) Being Mexico at the top of the list of choices for their personal investments and place to live in their retirement years, it would be rather easy to assume that this migration trend would actually benefit Mexico and the Mexican people in a wide range of ways? Well, the number of baby boomers and international retirees migrating to Mexico has increased 600% in the last decade. These baby boomers, or should I say grandpas and grandmas, started just by buying real estate in the Mexican beaches a few decades ago, such as Los Cabos, Puerto Vallarta, Acapulco, Ixtapa, Baja California, etc., But then they went further in and started buying in the central states of Mexico, such as Guadalajara, Jalisco, Guanajuato, and so forth. The estimates of retirees living permanently in Mexico in 2004 were about 385,000, and today the estimates are reaching 2 million. Not to mention those baby boomers that cannot be included in the list because many of them entered the country with tourist visas and are able to stay permanently, renewing their business every six months. They began to create associations. They rapidly expanded and started buying hotels, resorts, local bars, and so forth. So eventually, many locals were kicked out of their lands in order to make room for new infrastructure projects. Locals, of course, are hired at these businesses for a few dollars per day. So try to imagine this scenario where the Mexican economy was, that was already devastated by the local and foreign corporations that took their jobs and small businesses away, are, and now even their homes are endangered by local and foreign real estate investors. <clears throat> even so, in the main Mexican cities as the federal district, Guadalajara, Monterrey, Cancun, Acapulco, Vallarta, and many others, there is a huge middle class sector totally unaware of how fast this country is heading towards its doom. So what do you think about that? That's actually very
0: informative. Um and more specifically, it's it's totally unknown here that, that, that that's going on, at least it's not talked about. You know, I mean we hear about I mean basically, for example, we hear that, you know, our jobs get outsourced there. We hear that they open factories down there and Um, One of the things that Michael Moore said in actually the Yes Men film, it wasn't even one of his films, they talked to him and, you know, he said that, you know, they claimed that supposedly all the outsourcing going down there was going to make things so great for the people of Mexico. And he said that when he went down there 20 years later, that it was no different than it was before, that, you know, the poverty was still really widespread and, um, you know, that it really had done nothing beneficial and and now essentially, you know, uh, it, it looks like uh, like what you're talking about is that these big corporations um, are just kind of going now and doing in Mexico what they do in a lot of the other countries, usually through agriculture. Like uh, the countries that are based in agriculture, they'll they'll go there and they'll undercut everybody with their subsidized corn and subsidized crops to the point that they can actually sell it for less than the cost of production to put everybody out of business in that area. And yeah. then... After they've done that, then they open up these sweatshop factories, and they've got all these volunteers who are willing to take anything you'll give them because it's better than starving
1: to death. There's a that's whole bad. system to it. Um, so it's 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 surprising surprising how that now you guys are are, are outsourcing grandpa and grandma, huh?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, you know, and they go down there, I suppose, because their their savings are worth more. Um, One of the things that Ron Paul talks about quite a bit uh, in C-SPAN is when he's trying to tell Bernanke, he's like, look, you know, you can't continue to devalue the currency because a lot of elderly people are totally dependent upon their savings. And now, the more you devalue the currency, the less their savings are worth, you know, Um, and that has, you know, I can understand that why that might drive people out, you know,
1: to, to places where their savings are worth more exactly that 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 that's exactly the point. They come here because everything is cheaper, real estate is cheaper, services and products are cheaper, so they make their money worth about ten 000, ten times more than what they can make in the u s so that this is exactly why this trend is is happening you know? right
0: now something that we talked about actually off the air like beforehand is you said that now. These companies are figuring out that the people of Mexico are not even desperate enough. Maybe they need to find like other countries where people are even worse off and go open their factories over there, where the money is even worth even more. I mean, was that? Did I get correct out of that? Is that what you were saying? There is
1: certainly a huge uh, sector of of the Mexican population that is living under really big hard conditions and would take anything, almost anything for, for uh, as, as like for a job you know right but it's it well known that China is 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 uh, is the is the biggest uh, gatherer of outsourcing companies because the, the the people there is a lot more um, I don't know how to say it, more more uh, respectful towards their their leaders, I don't know, and they, they tend to be more, um, was, uh, they tend to accept almost anything. I heard, I, I was watching a documentary that in some parts in China, the, con- the, the working conditions are so hard that, that the, the workers, the very poor workers, have to sleep only a few feet away from their workplace. Some of them even sleeping in in in, in uh, bird cages, like about two feet or three feet long. I mean bird cages. I mean met, with bars and with metal bars and everything. I was shocked because I I thought, wow, that 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 is just extreme. And I'm not surprised to, to to hear stories about here in Mexico as well that, that the working conditions are not as Extreme as that, but they are also very, very extreme. Where the workers have to work, have to be uh, uh, about uh, 4, 40, 14 to six to eighteen hours a day at, the, at any factory. Right. So, so, so it's it's hard here, but I, I think that the corp, the point is, the point is that corporations also gather their information and they know in which places they can make their money even more valuable, where they can make the most profit out of, right? So they go to places like China where they can pay even less than what they pay in South America. So that's that's the whole point, that it, even now Mexico is, is I don't know, in, in, I don't know where it would be in, in their list of, of outsourcing priorities, but I, I, I'm guessing that we are about in the middle they, they, there are many, there are many other poor countries that would accept. I mean, almost anything.
0: That's yeah. That's basically kind of what I was getting at before. And I, I think that, you know, the politicians here they have a tendency to tell us that you know outsourcing is somehow good for the economy. But um, as we watch the the value of labor shoot down. Um, Like I said in my show recently, uh, the show is literally entitled No, I Mean It, The Economy is Failing, Um, because they they really cling to this idea that they can create jobs, that they can somehow make things better, and they just can't. No no profit-motivated system will ever improve this because now the trend is moving towards you can either automate it or you can find people that are willing to live as good a life as a robot. And if you're not willing to accept that, then they have no use for you. And that trend is only going to continue. That's why – and I've I've said this before. I'm only going to bring it up again because, um, you know, I know I've said this to, to my listeners. My friend Raphael that I told you about who I talked to about outsourcing, and, you know, he asked me what I thought of it. And, and then I said, well, they're telling us we need to be more competitive and, you know, that uh, Americans don't have a good work ethic. And he just started laughing And I asked him why. We were on voice chat, and he's like, well, you know, there's just as many lazy people in Mexico as there is anywhere else. He's like, what they mean by competitive is that they want you to accept, you know, an extremely low lifestyle. They want you to accept living in a one-bedroom home with you and all of your kids and your brother and all of his kids because that's all you can afford. And and to think that that means you're doing better than the guy who doesn't even have the one-bedroom home and to be happy that you live in that circumstance, you know that's what they mean. They want you to accept less for working more, um, and and it's it's just disgusting. First of all, and I I think one of the major points that a lot of the conservatives, in particular, miss the point on is that that going after Mexicans or even you know Indians, meaning from India, Bangladeshians, you know even the Chinese is just ridiculous. It, you know it, when the the people that are Actually, making all of this possible are right here at home. You know the the capitalist, successful corporations that these conservatives worship. You know it's you know, and they convince themselves that this is all fine. I I once again go back to the you know Michael Moore film right? Capitalism, a love story. He talks to that guy, the owner of Nike, and the owner of Nike even looks like he's a decent person or thinks he is, and.
1: He's yeah, like, you know, do you really
0: think it's okay that, you know, 14-year-old kids are sweating away in other countries making your shoes? And he's like, well, we've done studies and we've just determined that, you know, Americans don't want to make shoes. You know, so he, you know, so Michael Moore's like, well, I don't believe you and I come from yeah, Michigan. You he know. He's like, he looks no, at Michael.
1: Yeah. He looks at Michael Moore like he's from Mars or something. <laughs> you talking about, we are helping them people. What, right, we're doing them a favor. Talk.
0: That's the one yeah. We had some guy who called into V radio a long time ago who told us that, but yeah, it's um. but anyway, you know, so he goes to Flint, Michigan. I live in Michigan. The economy here is absolutely horrible. And, and, he, and he basically gathers to meet people together in a rally. You all say, yeah, we'll make Nike shoes, open up a factory. We need jobs, you know, yeah. and the guy still doesn't do it, you know, because it's, at the end of the day, you know, that's it's just like uh I always recommend Outsourcing Greenville. It's on my must see TV list. It's a very brief documentary and it specifically talks about a refrigerator plant that was here in Greenville, Michigan and how uh they decided to break it down here and open it up in Mexico and the you know the the labor unions got together and said, "We'll make all these concessions. We'll take pay cuts, you know, you know, we'll we'll do yeah. work extra hours." And they said, "Well, will you take a dollar 43 an hour?" And they're like, well, obviously not. And he's like, well, um, then there's really nothing we can do for you. I mean, it was a rhetorical question. You can't offer somebody a dollar forty-three an hour in the United States anyway. It's against the law.
1: Um, People, that, yeah. Okay. No, go ahead. People often don't realize the the, um, the the huge damage that outsourcing corporations and manufacturing companies make every time they migrate. Because they are leading a devastated economy in the, in the countries they leave behind, and they are creating underemployment in the in the countries they arrive at, because this this these countries with, to, to which they arrive at, they already have low wages, and when they arrive, the, the wages get even lower. i mean it's, it's all it's inhumane. It, the government, for example, here in Mexico, sets up the um, the uh, minimum the minimum wage for different regions in the whole country, which is absolutely ridiculous and unfair right in the federal district for example, the minimum wage is about fifty dollars per week but in the in in surrounding poor states of mexico it's even less than that, but they don't really care i mean what what is the I don't understand what is what is why they do this. What what is this going to create? That all the poor people in the poor states are gonna come down here and try to find a job with a better uh with a better with a better salary and we are gonna get even more and more um you know, uh stacked in this country, you
0: know? Yeah, well so, it'll get it'll get overcrowded with people looking exactly. for jobs and then the unemployment just goes right back to where it was. You know, and that's it's that's why it just seems like it's a global effort to slowly reduce the entire working class to slave conditions, and exactly. that's only gonna work as long as it takes as soon as they have machines to replace us entirely, they're just gonna do it, and they don't care about who they destroy along the way and in fact, honestly, I think they destroy us on purpose. I mean, I remember I watched a film um uh, called Cinderella Man. It was about a famous boxer who lived during the Great Depression. And um, he actually, ironically, one of the things that made him such a good boxer is that he hurt his arm. And um, when he hurt his arm, he um, basically was using his other arm the whole time he was working at the docks. And he had to hide that he had a hurt arm or he wouldn't have been able to work. And basically, you see these, this is how it worked. You know, the, the foreman would walk out, and he'd look at all the desperate men who were all like yelling and screaming, begging that he would give them the job, you know. And uh, you know, and then they would go back and they would get the few jobs that there were, you know. And this is this is what they want. I just don't see how that could not be what they want. It Looks like we lost Al. I'm going to have to reconnect him to the call. Yeah, I'm 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 on it. Can you hear me? Yeah, you you sound fine. That's good. It must have just been a yeah, hit. I, I But got disconnected for some strange reason. It's okay. It's good that it just re-added you. Um, but anyway, um, what I was going to say was just that they want us to be so desperate that that we'll take whatever they'll give, and then in essentially, now I mean, it's not to say that, that corporations are, are you know that are, are absolutely everything in fault because I mean, don't be me wrong, they are. But we also screwed ourselves when unions in the United States got too greedy. You know, uh, unions were supposed to get together. And, and essentially ask for a decent living wage, you know, decent benefits, things like that. And it just got so out of hand, at least in the United States, that, you know, that unions started just sucking the life out of corporations. They can, and with no real regard for how unrealistic it was, you know, um, and a lot of the union guys said that they would rather, you know, see a corporation totally fail than, you know, than not take the huge salaries that they were getting. Um, and so it's it, it swings back and forth like a pendulum. What were you going to say?
1: Yes, that's exactly the point I was going to talk about. Um, a few months ago, there was this, um, this union of, of workers of the electric company here in Mexico City called the Lucy Fuerza. These guys were, um, how do I say it politely, they were savagely destroyed by the government. They, were simply, they simply said, you know what, we are not gonna take any more of your shit. So you guys are out, and, and we are gonna take the electric company, and we, we are gonna make you work for us, and we are going to pay you whatever we want, and, and, and you are not gonna have any privileges anymore, you're not going to have your, all of your, uh, of your benefits that you used to have. So, that, so all of your dream work is gone. Basically, that's what happened. More and more sectors of the economy are being sold to local and worldwide corporations and monopolies, destroying billions of tons of natural resources every year, contaminating the rivers and the beaches. But how do they keep the masses in a quiet and calm way most of the time? By creating massive distractions, propaganda, fear, and paranoia. About a year ago, the Mexican and U.S. governments organized a huge media propaganda of fear, saying that there was a deadly virus known as H1N1, or swine flu, that could kill entire communities in just a few days. They said that this virus just showed up out of the blue in some Mexican state, speculating constantly about exactly where it happened, but they were unable to specify its origin. They just couldn't, of course, because it was all staged. There was a massive news media coverage, 24-7, constantly trying to expand fear among the population and insisting us to take the vaccine. But to their surprise, less than 30% of the people was attending the hospitals to take the shot. Most people were simply not afraid and seemed totally uninterested, uninterested in maintaining their normal uh, activities and going to the workplaces, even when the government advised the opposite. No one I know knew of anyone at all that got infected. The TV news media was always talking about thousands about a 1,000 or 2,000 deaths in the Mexican territory. But the strange thing is, those news reporters never actually went to interview families that supposedly had victims or families crying at the hospitals or cemeteries. Usually when a tragedy happens and there are victims and dead bodies, the news reporters arrive at the scene even before the ambulances. But in this case, we never saw a mother crying for her spouse for her swine little death infected son. I mean, never. No one knew a friend of a friend of a friend that got infected. However, the Mexican economy and the Mexican people were severely damaged with this phantom virus. Thousands of small businesses were seriously affected by the huge media fear mongers, advising locals and foreigners not to visit Mexico and not to go out in the Mexican streets, not to visit restaurants, theaters, shops, and so forth. Many people got stuck at airports in several countries because there was a warning to avoid flights to Mexican states. Many Mexicans suffered abuses, discrimination, and being avoided pointed at while visiting several countries because of the swine flu paranoia. Before all this happened, by the way, about a year earlier, a French pharmaceutical corporation made a deal with Mexican authorities for $100 million to build a huge medicine plant in Mexico where this swine flu vaccine was produced massively. This vaccine was offered even at the very busy Mexican subway trains, but about one of every 15 people were standing in line to take it, and less than half of the subway users were wearing those glove glove masks around their mouths. I guess this is a strong sign of how people is losing trust towards, their, towards those in power. Around that time as well, I found an interesting article about this German doctor who said that AIDS, that AIDS was a myth, that nobody has yet to this day found the actual HIV virus, but the whole AIDS thing was really just based on a very ridiculous assumption. And those people diagnosed with so-called virus were dying because of the ACT medicine, and not from the actual disease. Same thing for various types of cancers, which are so profitable that it's almost irresistible for big doctors to diagnose. But anyway, as I said, there is a huge middle class in Mexico that almost seems to soften the huge corporate they cover. If you walk the streets of Mexico City, you would almost believe that this is just another capitalist country, where you can get the cheapest $5 cell phone to the most most expensive Ferrari Enzo at Masaric Boulevard, or a Lamborghini in Santa Fe, one of the richest neighborhoods in Mexico City. It seems as though people have forgotten or totally ignored some basic facts in Mexican history. Many people here have a normal American lifestyle, with a house, a car, a dog, and a job at the office. Many others can be found on the streets, dancing, cleaning carts, windshields, performing as magicians for a few coins, and even, five, and even little five-year-old kids laying down on broken glass or juggling with sticks of fire in order to eat and barely live on a day-by-day basis. Mexico City is huge and vast. It almost makes you feel that you, are, that you, that you will be able to find a job anywhere, but the truth is rather different the unemployment rates are on a constant rise. Thousands of businesses break down each year. Many teenagers in the poor Mexican states, such as Guerrero, Michoacán, and many others, are constantly seduced by the drug cartels to join them. And having so little opportunities for an education or a good life, they practically have no choice but to join this underworld, saturated by violence, murder, and drug addictions. The current Mexican president, Calderón, being unable to keep his political campaign promises, as usual, decided to start his so-called war on drugs so he could be remembered at the very least for fighting this huge national problem. So what happened, you may ask? Well, the Mexican drug lords even are even more powerful than any state governor. They often bribe politicians and police forces with their huge economic assets. Even military generals and officials are unable to resist detentation. temptation. Not to mention that many state governors, policemen, and small-town local polit- politicians who refuse to sell themselves to the drug lords get harassed, kidnapped, murdered, or simply scared away. 28,000 violent deaths have occurred. Since since 2006, almost one execution every hour, the federal government has used the army to fight the drug cartels who already have bloodbaths with themselves, fighting with each other in order to conquer new territories for their distribution. Various Mexican northern states are going through a living hell of violence and human massacre. On the other hand, however... The southern US states closer to Mexico, the border states, are experiencing an unprecedented an unprecedented reduction in the in the levels of crime and violence. So one would ask, why are the US border states becoming more peaceful? And ironically, right across the fence in the Mexican side, there is a huge human massacre associated with the drug cartels. After all, the drugs are that are produced and or get transported to Mexico are mainly to satisfy the U.S. market. Ciudad Juarez, for instance, is a northern Mexican state that has acquired the status of being the most dangerous city with the most assassinations every year. And ironically, El Paso, Texas, a few steps away from Juarez, holds the title of the second safest city to live in the U.S. Incredible, isn't it? And this situation is... And this situation is practically the same in the other U.S. border states,
2: such as San Diego, California, right
1: in front of Tijuana, Laredo, Texas, right in front of Nuevo Laredo, Tamaulipas, and so forth. So quite opposite to many U.S. anti-illegal immigrant conservatives think undocumented workers and illegal immigrants are are not actually causing violence and crime in U.S. territory simply because illegal immigrants are trying to maintain themselves under the radar, so they are constantly avoiding any contact with the law. Please note that there are hundreds of drug dealers crossing U.S. borders legally and illegally. However, there are thousands of poor, innocent people just trying to cross U.S. border, trying to find a job, any job. So there is a difference. But anyway, how do we explain such massive contrast? between the violent Mexican border states with the peaceful and friendly U.S. border states. Recently, a Laredo, Texas, a Laredo, Texas sheriff named Raul uh, Salinas was interviewed by a Mexican political magazine, and they asked him his thoughts on this tremendous disparity in the level of violence between both sides of the border. And he said, quote, well, well, I think that the violence in Mexico doesn't cross the U.S. border because here in Laredo, Texas, we have the FBI and the DEA regional offices dedicated to collaborate with Mexico in the war on drugs. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great. Continue. Okay. So one would assume that the Mexican drug cartels in their way to U.S. territory would find, would find ferocious and very professional FBI investigators ready to capture them, right? Well, Nothing could be further from from the truth. Huge drug shipments are introduced in the U.S. every day to all the possible points of entry, legal and illegal. People get bribed all the time. The U.S. is the biggest open and free market in the world. Of course, the drugs and every kind of illegal substance are included. The concentrated products and merchandise is something that the U.S. has no intention of stopping anytime soon. This includes guns and drug trafficking, flowing easily from side to side, drugs to the north and guns and money to the south. So in U.S. territory, it's actually illegal to use military or police or policemen to register vehicles searching for illegal substances, unless drug dealers are caught flagrant. And many U.S. police officers register vehicles every now and then when they stop citizens committing driving violations. But overall, the amount of vehicles that actually get scanned is tremendously small. In other words, the U.S. makes from little to nothing to fight the drug cartels in U.S. soil. They just make a few arrests every now and then to justify their work. Every war that the U.S. declares is always fought on foreign land, never on its own. They don't use they don't see the need to scare its foreigner, to scare its foreign investors and its citizens. After all, America is the land of the free. The land of the free and its and its worldwide image of prosperity and wealth can never be affected by anything or anyone. Besides, a dumbed down Product society is way more manipulable, right? As most people know, the U.S. has the biggest population in the world serving time in prison. Most of these people are drug-related criminals or offenders, and this imprisoned people is used as cheap or practically free laborers, where they only get to have their meals in exchange for their hard work, making all kinds of products for several corporations. So this extremely So these extremely kind of cheap laborers are a huge stimulus for many companies and the government. But what is happening to the normal abiding population? Well, neither Mexicans or Americans are being treated any differently. Nowadays, the huge trend of outsourcing is reaching catastrophic proportions. Hundreds of thousands of people are losing their jobs or suffering cutdowns in their job payments in alarming rates. Hundreds of companies and manufacturing corporations are migrating to China and the poorest countries such as Latin America, the Middle East, Africa, and so forth. Devastating and rising unemployment rates in the countries they leave behind, and destroying family businesses by creating underemployment in the countries they arrive at. My blood literally boils up every time our president shows up on TV to brag about how much the economy will benefit by allowing more transnationals to settle in our country. And then he brags about how his responsible government has been blessed with another huge loan from the World Bank. It's just incredible. But anyway, there will be more bloodbaths in this century. But there will also be more knowledge than ever before in human history, thanks to the new technologies and the Internet. So we all just need to keep on avoiding and supporting our governments. We gradually need to stop using the banks and our so-called institutions in order to generate and impose change. Otherwise, we'll keep on being treated as cattle and keep serving as cannon meat for the empires. This current world empires will fall, just like all the ancient empires did in the past. The Egyptian, the Roman, the Aztec, the Spanish, the Russian, the Catholic, and so forth. But what matters is what we are going to do after the collapse, which is to create a totally new hegemonic and sustainable system for all to share. Right? Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great. So what do you think?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think that you know we we kind of went over a little bit of that, and then and I'm glad that you needed to read it again. You actually do a really good presentation. Um, now you were talking about getting your own radio show as well, right? I mean, I don't want to go on that for a long period just because it's kind of a tangent, but um, that is your intention, isn't it?
1: Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm hoping to start it in uh, mid January, as I told you. I'm, I'm right now working on my on my own short film, which is based on on. The Seed Guys Movement and the Venus Project, and I'm very, very excited about this short film because it, because it, it's it simply uh, everything I've learned about everything in life is gonna be there. I mean, it's, it's, it's. I'm very, very excited about it. And when, when I'm more advanced with this project, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna get ready to start my own show in, in mid January.
0: Well, I'll be happy to help you promote it and now that's going to be a Spanish language show right?
1: Yeah but I'm hoping to have international uh, interviews like with you for example mm-hmm. it would be awesome to get Peter Joseph and you know the whole the whole the whole thing you know right. so I will I will have my own show and I, I'll be able to say things like the room is too
0: damn hot <laughs> you know, stuff like that it's too damn hot how do you say that in uh, Spanish? La renta está muy alta.
1: <laughs> Demasiado alta. <laughs> the rent is too damn high in Rent <laughs> I'll be able to,
0: you know, have my own
1: rents, you know. Right. No, we can always use more of those. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always easy to, to, to be... Uh, An expectator, and and to feel that uh,
2: that you understand. But if
1: you don't actually do anything to contribute, then nothing changes, nothing grows, nothing happens. Is what many people don't understand. Many people here in Mexico, for example, my work buddies, they have seen the they have seen film, they have seen seen guys, they have seen uh, as much documentaries as I have. But not many people is as uh, intense or excited about trying to contribute in some way. So this is sad because this happens everywhere. Many people understand the movement, but they don't actually, they don't actually do anything. I mean, not even picking up a pencil. You know, it's, it's very, very frustrating. But eventually, as more people get informed, things start to, to advance. In, in, in a good
0: direction. <laughs> well yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm glad actually to have more people doing that. Now um as far as to commenting what you what you talked about, I, I think that um you know you really laid into it perspective. It's actually interesting that we mentioned Africa because I've heard that that's going to be the the next place that they they do this effect of, you know, um you know well mind you, most of the local economies in Africa are already destroyed. But you know, yeah. go in there you have these people that, you know, this massive group of people who are starving to death to the point that their bellies are swollen you know and find a way to enslave the people of Africa all over again um exactly. you, you got to wonder you know what's going to happen because you know after you've done this to an economy i don't see how it can recover um i mean there'd be no capital there you know and, and there's no work so therefore there's there's no money you know and it's the infrastructure starts to fail too because like uh, here in Michigan, for example, they, they panic and they go to socialist style programs to try to take care of everybody. But when there's no money to be taxed, then those, those programs can't be funded. So it kind of comes back to, um, okay, then what, you know, like, uh, the, the state of Michigan's, uh, the go- government almost actually shut down a couple years ago, because of this, she, like, uh, the governor was going to do so. Um, you know, and I guess it's, there is, you know, the, the free market people in particular always say things like what's all about regulations and, you know, and taxation, and if we can get rid of those things, then the businesses will come back. I'm like, look, buddy, the only regulation that's going to affect any of this is is minimum wage. You know, they, okay. they come up with all these other excuses, but it's going to come down to, you know, unless we're willing to allow companies to make slaves out of all of us, the jobs are never going to come back. You know, it almost seems like you should have like, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's like a global minimum wage is the only thing that would ever solve something like this. You know, if you wanted to solve it within the the previous paradigm, but that'll never happen. You know, that's why I keep telling people, particularly free market capitalists, if you think that your freedom is linked to your ability to make money, you know, by being useful to somebody else, you're going to get left behind because that's not how the economy of the future is going to work. Even if it's not the Venus Project economy that's not what we're headed towards. You know the days of finding a way to be useful to somebody else to take care of yourself is you know those those days are going away quickly you know and it's it's one of the reasons why um I tell people that real freedom is being able to produce for yourself you know alternative energy um alternative food production, being able to find ways to do that and exactly. I think that people need to, to do that before they get into the perspective. It's like I, I tell people now, particularly when it comes to education, people spend a lot of money on their education in the United States. I don't know how it is in Mexico. But I tell them, look, you know, the same thing here. you're spending all this money to go to this college. You're going to get out of the college and hopefully find something in your field.
1: And if you don't, you're just going to
0: end up just where everybody else is. You know, like right now where I live in Chesterfield, Michigan, um, the economy is so bad that, like, they opened the Dunkin' Donuts, actually it was with Tim Hortons, at the end of my street, and within an hour of the, the doors opening, there was literally a stack of applications, job applications, like six inches thick. And these applications have a lot of people with really big, you know, educations in them. They're not, you know, these people that are applying to work in a donut shop who have been to college, exactly. you know. Here
1: in the state we have... Uh thousands of kids graduating from college just to end up a few months later or a few years later, you know, driving a driving a cab or or selling tacos on the streets. Things are getting tougher and tougher and tougher. And still well, paying off
0: their student loans while they're doing it. Exactly. I have a friend
1: uh, uh, that told me that how much he got in debt with the bank in order to pay on his own his 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 uh, his career, his college degree, and and it's been like four years, and, and he hasn't been able to pay it after four years. I mean, it's just ridiculous, I and mean, he still doesn't have a decent job. This that is more frustrating and, and exasperating for him. And then yeah, and the system's not
0: designed to to find jobs for us. The system is is working to eliminate jobs. But go ahead and continue your point
1: exactly what what my my wife asked me uh, uh, often, so if this uh, Venus project or the sea guys thing whatever you call it she says um, how how is people going to uh, work for the others, like you say because I told her that we could work for each other and not just for a few fat, rich uh cats, you know. Right. We we can we can work for each other. And, say, and how how is the people going to do that? And I and I, and I often say an example like for example, we if if you are a teacher for example, you could be you could be traveling to Japan just to know the city, and there could be a group of kids that you could teach them your graphic design uh, knowledge. It, it wouldn't that be fun just to do it just for the love of it just just because you like what you do. People do what they like not because of the money of the monetary incentive. The monetary incentive is now is nowadays more about satisfying the basic needs and not about having luxury. I mean, it, it, but many people doesn't seem to realize this. That people say people often criticize the movement by saying that there will, be, there will not be enough motivation but this is just ridiculous. We have to work today and not because we like our jobs, most people hate their jobs, they really do. So it's not about they are enjoying and having a good life, they are doing it to satisfy their basic needs mainly. So, so what's, what's different from that? What's different from that is to do what you do for free. And the machines will be working in the land, uh, collecting the vegetables and the fruits, and making clothing and making shoes, and, you know, just like Peter says. But people don't seem to realize that. It. But it's, it's obviously hard to, to understand and to look beyond what you are used to, because it's obviously a lifetime of experiences that say well, that this is normal, that it's harsh, but normal. And that's a big mistake because we can arrive at this state of humanity in a gradual way, you know, little by little, step by step. It doesn't. It's not going to happen, of course, in 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 um in a few decades. But it it has to it has to be done somehow, or otherwise we are simply doomed. It, it has to. Absolutely. You know. uh,
0: no, I mean. Is there any interest in alternative energy and things of that nature, like living off the grid in Mexico? Oh yes, of
1: course. There are many many people trying to gather these solar panels, but they are so expensive. They 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 try to buy these uh, electric generators, and and they they and some people try to you know these these electric generators that that uh, run on, on on gasoline. And people try to, to convert them and and to uh, you know take out the the, the gasoline thing out of it and make it work in some other ways. So so people is constantly trying to find ways to to get off the grid, to stop being so uh, so manipulated and and, and and enslaved by paying so many bills: the telephone bills, the the electric bill, the water bill. I mean, it's just insane. We, we we don't realize that we are slaves of, of our lifestyles everywhere. Not just here. It's obviously that everyone in the world is suffering from this, except of course for the ones on top. That they 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 love to impose taxes. They love to. We have to pay, for example, the uh, what they call it, the floor taxes every year. You know, the the uh, the <laughs> space the the space at your house. Users. Right. Property I taxes, to, that's what we thought. Yeah. So it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, what, what's next? Are we going to have to pay the taxes for breathing the air? Or, you know, it's, they, they don't... And, and, and one interesting thing here in Mexico, for example, is the fact that the tax recollection is getting lower and lower every year. In other words, the government are getting less and less money from taxation every year what does this means that people is getting tired and they are not and uh, they are losing the the fear of getting the you know the, the uh, 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 or, or or threatened you know right. so so that's that's a good thing every, every time every year people realize the, the the trend of trying to avoid being less trying to Trying to, some people say, oh, no, you have to be responsible. You have to, you have to be a good citizen and pay your taxes. I mean, and what you say, do I have to? I mean, these people can make money out of, out of thin air, out of, out of nothing, and I still have to give them my money? Isn't that ridiculous? That the, uh, the, um, the, federal, the Mexican Federal Reserve is called the uh, Mexican National Bank. And they do it like you know the, the Federal Reserve. They make money out of dinner and they loan it, and they loan it, and they they give away in loans in mortgages, in, in 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 school loans, in everything. So and so ha- having this ridiculous ability to create not to create money like that, why do we still have to give them our money? This is just the fact that we are paying the government taxes is just to make us feel like they're slaves. That's nothing more. You know, if, we, if nobody would pay them, the government wouldn't have many reasons to make us feel dominated. So one of, I think that one of the main reasons for taxation is to make us feel a part of society and make us feel, you know, like uh, we depend on them. So it's, it's totally ridiculous. That's an interesting point that you make because, you know, if all
0: of money is fractional reserve made in the first place, why do they need to pay taxes? That's an interesting point. You know, it's, I mean, I guess they could just, you know, they could just uh, print all the money they need to run the government.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, isn't it, isn't it absurd? Yeah, well, you know, I, I thought
0: about that a while ago, actually. I was thinking about the fact that, uh, you know, it, it's kind of ironic that, you know, they say, well, what will the incentive be? You know, all they did, for example, to pay for things like the Manhattan Project, all Lincoln did to pay for the the Union's part of the American Civil War was just print money. He made those greenbacks. Exactly. You know, he just made money out of thin air,
1: and that's how he paid yeah, so, for everything. Yeah, to pay the uh, soldiers and all and all the the assets he needed for war. So so why why are these presidents are are uh, Loaning money from the damn World Bank. I mean, what do they need foreign foreign currency? Why? Why they don't use they don't use foreign currency in our country? At least not in the in the main cities. They use it, at, uh, for example, in Cancun and the northern states closer to the U. S. Because of the uh, you know all the gringos spending their money here, so we accept their dollars. But that's not our national currency so why the hell do we have to to uh, to loan huge amounts of money that no one will be able to pay in many decades
2: and 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 not said that we never actually see better education systems we never see we never
1: get to see better hospitals we never get to see better roads. We never get to see all of the things that they promise to give us when they are asking for those loans or when they ask us for those taxes. We never see them. It's so. How how do how do we how do they keep us in this lie? In this in this false promise. It's it's blatant, you know. Yeah. The funny
0: thing is, is that it, you know it really does seem like it is just a means to keep us down. You know, just a exactly. means to to keep us in this belief that they should have most of everything and we should not, you know, and, you know, it's something that occurred to me is that, you know, people who live in your depressed economy, it'll be harder for you to do things like get off the grid and become independent, um, you know, because it's, and it's set up that way. And as they destroy economies, it's going to be harder and harder um, for people to do that. And that's why I said to them, I'm like, look, you know, rather than investing all of this money that you do in your education, you ought to get all that money together and and put it into just creating a self-sustaining system for your home, as much as possible anyway. You know, you're far better off investing in a power supply for your house than you are in investing in an education that they're gonna go out of their way to make useless. You know, that's one of the major things that is a problem here is that actually getting educated is a great way to not get hired because the jobs that they have to pay really high uh, salaries for, they wanna outsource those jobs. You know, like a fellow that I met when I was in the unemployment line, uh, he was, you know, because they always say, oh, we'll get more educated and then you'll get a job. You know, well, he had a business degree and an engineering degree. And I was like, wow, you know, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, my company said that they were expanding. So they asked me to go to Mexico and to teach a few Mexican men how to do my part of the job at the factory Um, and he said then after I had finished doing this, then what was expansion, essentially they lied to me. They weren't expanding. They were essentially outsourcing, and then after they didn't need me anymore, they fired me because it was far cheaper for them essentially to pay a few Mexican people who don't actually have because, like, at least in the United States anyway, you're expected to pay more, pay somebody more who has a better education. They're expected to have a higher salary, whereas if they didn't pay... Yeah, I mean it's it's how they get out of it, you know. Because in Mexico, I mean, I imagine there's probably you know education probably you know gets you somewhat of a higher salary too. But you know, when you go with the exchange rate, it's always going to be cheaper, and the profits are always going to go up, and that's that's the bottom line. It's that thing, you know, that dollar forty-three an hour to do the job, and you know, making refrigerators, you know, it's and there is no way to fix that, and it's it's just going to continue. It's it's essentially a downward spiral, you know. And I yeah. think that as soon as they find ways to Um, produce everything as long as they that's the thing about this is that when we talk about automation it's going to happen anyway the difference is is that if it happens when we're in a capitalist system where people are allowed to own everything we're dead you know the majority of people are going to die and that's actually the reason why it, it scares me that for example people who talk about us you know wanting to have that happen in an egalitarian way where everybody is equal and everybody's taken care of they say that's New World Order, but they don't recognize that this free market thing that they're advocating, and more specifically, some of its biggest advocates, like Ayn Rand, I don't know how much you know about her, but she's this Russian
1: author that yes, came up earlier. I heard a lot about her. Oh
0: yes. man.
1: She's completely completely Nazi mentality uh But, poor. but she is
0: like the, you know, she's somebody that they really value. And all those Tea Party nutcases have, like, signs from from some of her books, from this guy, John Galt, and they tend to forget what John Galt did. And, you know, like, he's a guy who at one point in the book says, you know, you know, Robin Hood stole from the rich and gave to the poor. Well, I'm the opposite. I steal from the poor and give to the rich. Yep. You know. I'm the rich. I'm the, I'm the
1: rich and I'm going to steal more from the people, goddammit.
0: Right, well, and this is supposed to be the great liberator. This is the means to freedom. This is why when people talk about New World Order for conspiracy theories, I'm like, look, man, the idea that a few people should be able to own everything and that the worker actually is the bad guy, because that's the way it is in most of Ayn Rand's novels. The working class is the bad guys, and the, and the heroes are the, you know, what they say, the productive people. Productive translate means well, because I have this piece of paper that says that I own the means of production, I am therefore entitled to the fruits of the labor of everybody who works for me. That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, they they always talk about, well, these people worked hard for their position. I'm like, you're not working hard now. You know, you're sitting on your tuff while an entire factory worth of people is is working and making you rich. You know, that's essentially that's one of the major um, problems that I see is that, they think that that's the path to freedom. Uh, the anarcho-capitalists in particular scare the hell out of me because anarcho-capitalists believe in no government at all and that everything should just be determined by cartels and monopolies. And mind you, they, they think that monopolies can't happen. But, you know, cartels, monopolies, you know, rich people, you know, it's like and they think that there should be no public works at all, that everything should be privatized, including military and police. And if you have the money to afford police, then... You know, then you have protection for yourself and all this nonsense. And I'm just like, okay, so let's just hand everything over to money. I mean, we're almost there now. Let's just hand everything over to money. There won't even be a government that has to at least try to pretend to take care of us. You know, and then the rich will just be in charge, and there won't be any more of this this fiction. And that's why it scares me when when people start worshipping this anarcho-capitalist theory because that's what it is. It's like a religion, and they think that that's going to lead them to freedom when reality is it just – we're already in a system now that, as they point out, is not a free market, um, yes. that, that has some limitations. And even in the system as it is now, we're already in a position – like I don't know if you watch, listen to my previous show where I quoted from that Russia Today video where they pointed out that the wealth gap in New York is higher than it is in India – you know, where you have these people spending $2,000 on a pair of shoes stepping over homeless people, you know, who are on the same street, you know, that, and that all yeah. sounds exactly like the same scary stuff that you hear, the horror stories you hear about what supposedly happened in Soviet Russia when there was, like, the nomenclature who had almost everything and everybody else had to work really hard, and, you know, that that's it's just the same thing all over again, and that's why when Josh yeah. said That all these systems are basically the same Most people don't understand what he means That I think that In the capitalist system it's even more insidious Because you still think you're free You believe you're free Because you think if you just work a little harder You'll be okay Just like you mentioned These people in Asia
1: Have these super mega rich uh, uh, kings that have uh, houses made of gold and and, and and precious stones and everything, and you just walk a few a few. was paid by international entities right international entities like, you know, like in, the
0: US. yeah huh? trained in the you united know, states trained in our uh, there's actually a camp for it like the 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 school of the americas in are just paid of yep you know they they get they get funded by many international institutions so they don't say he was only defending his
1: his presidential house from, 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 a, from the attackers, you know. They just try to avoid anything that could help his image in every way. It's the same thing that they did to, to, to Saddam Hussein, the, the same thing that they did in Afghanistan, and the same thing they are doing throughout the whole Middle East uh, area. They are trying to demonize this guy from Iran, which is, I mean, just like, is this train ever going to stop? I mean, you wonder. You no, know, it's it's just overwhelming. Well that I you know,
0: it's it's interesting because it, it all kind of comes back to what the economic hitman said, you know, and uh, and more of the point, you know, they've been hinting at the possibility that Venezuela might get invaded by the United States. Um
1: Yeah, that's why they built this this uh this military facility in Colombia and in 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 the uh, what was that plane that suffered an earthquake? Haiti. Haiti. They built one there, and ever since the earthquake in Haiti happened, the first thing that arrived to the island was the military. Was the U.S. military forces? They they weren't bringing any any food, any medical help, nothing. They were just bringing guns and and, and military equipment and tanks and all that. And then the people was what the hell? We need water. We need food, not not military equipment. But they didn't know that this was probably planned uh, several months several months prior to, to build a military base there as well as in, in, in Colombia. So they, they have Venezuela practically surrounded right now. So that's why Venezuela's been buying I think I heard I think I heard that they're buying airplanes from Russia and, and some other places. And and he's getting alike with with the social with this with the um, with friends like Iran and North Korea and all that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, I don't know how, how far is the U.S. going to keep going with this. Um, but I'm sure they are not going to stop nonetheless. So this is very, very scary in terms of what, what, what's next in, the, in, the, in their list, you know, in their list of priorities. Jesus Christ, this is just uh, incredible. Yeah, that's that's very true, and I think that
0: um, uh, people are just not aware of the big picture going on around them. And it's and, you know when you when you put it into perspective, that it's happening in Mexico, it really puts a, you know a spin on things that I don't think, as I said earlier, when I said at the beginning of the show, that that most people are just not aware of um, the fact that this, this is going on. We get a lot of misconceptions, you know, and uh, and also, I mean, like, would you say, I mean, I mean, this is kind of a question I think we may have talked about earlier a little bit, but, like, when Michael Moore said that um, the situation in Mexico did not improve at all when we outsourced jobs there, would you say that that's, that's true, that the situation is not
1: any better? That's absolutely true. Like I said, whenever these this outsourcing companies and manufacturers migrate to Mexico, they are not only lowering the wages even more, they are, they are destroying the, com- the competition around them, just like Walmart does. Right. So, so, so they create so many problems. They, they create so much underemployment. I mean, people getting paid, I don't know, $50 a month or something, $50 a week. I mean, that's not even enough to eat on a day-by-day basis in Mexico. That's, that's, re- that's a ridiculous amount of money. But they keep on doing it, and they are going to keep on doing it simply because the big corporate charts get together and get alive with local governors and, 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 and country's presidents. So they make these huge deals. Everybody gets rich, and the poor gets poorer. I mean, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. I, I love that uh, capitalism love story. I, I just watched it like three times. I couldn't get enough of it. It was just, it was just good. I mean. Right now, I'm curious. I mean, do you guys
0: have a welfare system in Mexico? I mean, like, is there any way to feed your family with any kind of government program if things get bad or what?
1: No, feeding for free? No, that's totally out of the picture. So, concepts health, like, food stamps and things like that just don't exist. That, no, that doesn't exist here at all. Even when we have even. More poor people than the U.S. We don't have food stamps, or I think no, wait a minute. I think they do offer these food food stamps. I think some people obtain food stamps. I don't know from where. I think some companies uh, give away those food stamps as uh, as, uh, as, benefits, as as part of the benefits as part of the benefits. But that's not very usual, though. We have, and, and in terms of healthcare, we have two major institutions. That's the IMSS and the ISSEE, which are, um, let's say, the, the, the biggest hospitals, the biggest public hospitals in Mexico. If you are, uh, if you work at, at the, at some company that has this service, they will provide you with a card, so you won't have to pay uh, health, health, uh, health assistance as long as you work for them. But even now, nowadays, this, this, uh, these systems are are, um, are being found even less in many companies. It, we, we used to, many, many companies here used to work with this, uh, how do I say it, um, we used to work as, um, I don't know how to call it, I mean, you used to be registered at the company as an employee, and you would have benefits, you would have your vacation space, you would have your, uh, you know, many benefits, and every benefit throughout the last 20 years has been declining, and uh, more and more in many many companies. Many companies doesn't offer now the, the health system. They they <clears throat> they actually force you to to register your your uh, your name at the uh, at the um, at the taxation company. Right. At the uh, so 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 you have to buy these huge uh, bills
0: that you
1: have to fill, and you have to, you have to fill every payday. You have to give them to the company, and they will give you the paycheck. What does this mean? That with this bill that you, have, that you just gave them, you, they make sure that, that you are paying the bills, that you are paying the taxes of the company, and also you are paying the taxes to the, to the government on your own. They are not even taking care of that anymore. Now you have to, pick, to pay to pay your working taxes on your own. That's even uh, more difficult than it was before. Now that's
0: it, but basically the concept of any kind of nationalized health care, and certainly nothing like you know we have Medicaid. Like if you're really poor, then you know you can get Medicaid, you know, for your for yourself and for your children. So nothing like that even exists in Mexico. Is that what you're saying?
1: If you're affiliated to the. Uh, the healthcare system, like the IMSs or the or the ISDE, you you get free medical assistance if you need for you or your family. But if but if you lose your job, and 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 a few years pass by, you will probably lose your your rights for this benefit. So it's it's very very <coughs> concerning a concerning issue for many people. That not that I would say a huge percentage of the population don't have access to free shelter. Right. But but many do actually. Well, that's interesting, you know. And
0: once again, especially the idea of not having welfare is is kind of crazy here. You know, like not having food stamps or something. And I don't think people recognize, you know, uh, what what it's like that we have those things in the United States. Um, you know, in Canada, they have a nationalized healthcare system, and we tried to get one here in the United States, but the conservatives, of course, you know, ate it to pieces, and, you know, so, I mean, it, but but overall... What,
1: what, what happened to that recent healthcare big deal that they were talking about, that <laughs> Obama was going to approve? Uh, well, Obama it got approved, approved,
0: but, you know, the funny thing is, is that it's it's kind of strange. Uh, it just kind of makes it illegal for us not to own our own healthcare. <laughs> there's, illegal there's, what? it makes it illegal for us not to buy our own health care, but, but in exchange, it does say that, um, you know, it does, it does put some limitations, like, uh, an insurance company can't refuse you based on pre-existing conditions. Like if I have cancer, a company can't say, well, we're not going to give you insurance. Um, w- but the thing is though, is with the Republicans taking the house of representatives, they're, they're going to try really hard to get rid of it. Um, uh, and it's, I don't really, I mean, I'm not an expert on it. I didn't even read the legislation. The whole thing was so confusing and annoying that, you know, I didn't even want to get into it. But um, I've done my, my fair share of reading congressional documents. I read through the entire Patriot Act. And let me tell you, it gives you a headache to read the stuff that those people put together. And they make it, in, in, you know, intentionally difficult to understand. If you ever compare it to the United States Constitution, the United States Constitution is extremely easy to understand. Um, know. You know, so... <laughs> But and, and it occurred, you know, it's just like the monetary system is is uh Peter points out, it, it it's not really to their best interest that we might be able to read these documents ourselves. Um you know, they, are
1: not meant, they are not meant to be read by people like you and me. Right. <laughs>
0: we might actually, you know, know what's going on. And that's why it, the funny thing is about the Patriot Act is that it's not even that hard to find the, the stuff that shouldn't be in there. Um, One of the reasons why reading these documents is difficult is because um, they refer to other aspects of the state code, the state code meaning, you know, all of the laws that have been passed so far, and they don't detail them in the original document. So it's like, you know, refer to X, Y, and Z, which you can go look up, but it would take forever to actually compile everything. You know, and then – but even just the stuff that's contained in the Patriot Act itself – the, like for example that the United States president
1: can simply determine that you're an enemy combatant and, and then they can get in, they can get in your house and sir, and do whatever they want and arrest you and they don't and they don't have to give you an attorney and they can send you to Guantanamo Bay and they can do whatever they want anytime they want with you well, or your family when, well well it,
0: it doesn't say all of that immediately in the PATRIOT one of the ways that they try to sneak this stuff by is that they put it in more than one thing. Like, for example, they, they passed the Patriot Act by saying, well, it doesn't apply to American citizens, so don't worry about it, even though some of the parts of it very clearly do apply to American citizens. And then they made another one called the Military Commissions Act. And the Military Commissions Act, uh, at least the first time anyway, that they tried to pass it, they were going to try to allow them to take away American citizenship. So that would have then therefore allowed them to, you know, use the Patriot Act on people. They. They put these things together in puzzle pieces, and then they pass them separately. Or sometimes, so, you... but one more thing, sometimes they'll try to sneak them onto other unrelated bills. Like they tried to reintroduce a bunch of the stuff that they failed to get into the Military Commissions Act into a bill for the CIA's budget. You know, just kind of slide it in there and hope that nobody notices. So, <laughs> yeah. Just under under the
1: rug so nobody notices, but signs
0: it. Right. And that's, I mean, it's, and that's basically, I mean, the Patriot Act, the way it was introduced, they, they were really capitalized on the fear in Capitol Hill at the time, you know, they, uh, they basically, um, you know, they put it through, you know, with, and they, they put it for a vote way before anybody, well, most people can even read it. Uh, congressman dennis kucinich went ahead and read the damn thing stayed up for like (laughs) i think he said like you know 12 hours reading it um to make sure that he could read it you know before he'd vote on it um and he brought that up during the uh during the presidential debate it was kind of entertaining because he's like well yeah i didn't vote for it because i read it (laughs) and nobody else on the podium could say that they read it um you know and then the bailout was done along the same way uh there was this the, this hub-hub thing going on that, you know, if you don't pass this bailout, there's going to be martial law. You know, they said this stuff to to congressmen who are just getting ready to vote on this thing. You know, yeah. and it's – the way that things get done in the United States government in addition to that is that, that the media is definitely on board because when they're getting ready to do something uh, controversial, then they'll distract you with something else. Like yes, when they were they were voting on like things like net neutrality and the ability of the government to you know to investigate your internet, um, you know rather than reporting on that in the news, they'll report on wildfires in California because that, that's yes, yes. because that's more important than voting on whether or not the government can go look at what you're doing on the internet. Um,
1: exactly,
0: and it's it's difficult. You know, it's it's basically you know it's uh, you know distraction. You know. And like all kinds of other mind control techniques that are used, like they said the Patriot Act. Well, you know, if you're not going to vote for the Patriot Act, you must not be a patriot. You know, uh, they they make these things sound like they're uh, somehow you know like if you're not if you're not for this, then you're not for America. You are anti-American.
1: Right, and that's uh, they, they do. You know, like I, like this guy uh, this guy that makes my blood boil. This Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly, Jesus Christ, this guy is so incredibly cynical. He said, so if America doesn't doesn't abide with the military uh, usage in in America, then they must shut up. I mean, wow. I was was like, wow. Wow. I, I was completely amazed
0: by this guy. Oh, that guy is like, you know, and I... there's a really good documentary you can watch about him called Outfoxed, uh, Rupert Murdoch's War on Journalism. I mean, it's not about Bill O'Reilly, but there's a whole segment about Bill O'Reilly telling people to shut up because he claimed that he had only told somebody to shut up once. (laughs) And so he played all these links to him telling people to shut up. And then the way he treated that kid, you know, like he brought that
1: kid on who was against uh, war in Iraq. Yeah. And the time when there was a kid that was one of the... uh, 9/11 truthers.
0: Right. That's well, he wasn't. Thing. The funny thing is, that he wasn't actually a 9/11 truther. He just didn't support the war in Iraq, and he didn't think that the 9/11 was a good reason for the war in Iraq. And his father had died in the Twin Towers,
2: so I, Bill O'Reilly
0: I mean, brought I him say,
1: on. And would, you, would your father, your father, would be so mad at you? Right. I mean, he You are not respecting his his memory. I mean, you should be ashamed of yourself for for criticizing it. the the U.S. military
0: forces. Right, and then when the kid was not going along with it, O'Reilly starts bullying him, you know, and
1: glowering
0: him, and then like, you know, I'm not generally a violent person, and I don't advocate violence, but that dude stuck his finger in that kid's face and started yelling at him to all these shameful things, and I'm thinking, you know, if he did that to me, I'd have broke his finger on national television. (laughs) There is no way. I'd let you talk to me about how I respect my father or don't respect exactly. my father. I mean, come on, you know. And
1: he and he does it all the time. He just he just bullies people. You know, He's so it, arrogant. I mean, it's it's amazing the level of arrogance that this guy that this guy has. Do you guys you have any crazy pundits in Mexico
0: like that? Of course, there are many.
1: The the whole media is you know revolves around the. Uh, and, and, and in accordance to political decisions, if not made by them, you know, like in the U.S., that the that the media has so much power and control over what happens in America. So, so, so yes, absolutely, the media works entirely for for the government. Like I said previously, when the uh, when the Union of, of Electric Workers came uh, came to happen they they made the distraction of the of the uh H1N1 virus that's exactly when when it happened so so they create this distraction for the people not to not to get upset or or make revolts about this 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 incredible uh humiliation of the electric union workers it was it, it was incredible how how much they they covered the the this this issue 24/7, all day long, all night long, they were talking about the swine flu, and it was all to cover all the deals that they were made to create this vaccine and and to and to create and to destroy the union workers. That that by the way, it it's, it's what it, it was one of the one of the union working associations that was still running in Mexico. They are trying they are now uh, finishing them all up by by stripping them from any rights from any benefits from everything and they, they use the media of course to manipulate public opinion in in such a uh, cynical and, and and arrogant way
0: You know, um, that's actually an interesting question I wanted to ask you, and this is a little bit off-topic, but it is relative to to the Mexico issue. You know, we hear a lot about this North American Union thing. Um, Lou Dobbs talked about it. Ron Paul talked about it. You know, the idea that they want to convert, like, Mexico, Canada, and the United States into a union similar to the European Union. Now, does the average Mexican ever talk about this? Do they know about it?
1: We are living on it. I mean... This country is more Canadian and, and, and American than ever before. We just—it we, it is just not recognized officially. But right. this country is practically owned by U.S., Canadian, and European corporations already. So we are all. So if that happened, we would feel absolutely no difference at all. You know what I'm saying? Well, there First. would be one currency at least. I mean, there, there wouldn't be any valued currency, but. That would be the only difference because other, otherwise we don't, we don't really feel that this is an autonomous country, a self-sustaining country that, that the companies are worried about their workers. I mean, nothing of that happens here. So we wouldn't actually feel any difference. We, are not, we, we have lost so much fear about so many issues that, that, that are happening worldwide because of the living conditions that we have. You know, right? Yeah, you know, that's. I mean, do I mean, do the people
0: know about it? I mean, do they know about this theory? I mean, like, supposedly the the Mexican president and the Canadian uh, Canadian Prime Minister and the American president at the time it was George Bush signed this treaty that's supposed to make it. I mean, do they do they talk about it in Mexico at all? In the yes. United States, they tried to just pretend it never happened.
1: Yes, they 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 were talking about making uh, like the uh, European Union kind of thing, but here in America. And they they, they, they they made several hypotheses, hypotheses on the news and they were talking about it and they were discussing what would be the repercussions and what would happen and what would this. And, I mean, as if something would actually benefit the people. I mean, as if nothing has happened ever since the uh, there, there was a treaty signed by by Mexico the U.S. and Canada back in the 80s. That was called the uh, the TLC. Mm-hmm. The uh, what was called in English the uh, NAFTA? No, it was uh, we call it the TLC, mm. the treaty, the treaty for free for free uh, trade. Mm-hmm. And and ever since that happened, Mexico went further on selling its resources, its companies. Its infrastructure to to, uh, to foreign investors. So as you can see, this hasn't really helped us in any way ever since. So creating another another treaty like that would be practically the same and even worse nowadays because we are, as I told you, we are already sold to
0: foreign corporations. Now another question about Mexico is. Um Well, first of all, I mean, would you say that the – I mean, I don't – I mean, obviously, you haven't been in the United States yet, but, I mean, how aware are the people of Mexico? I mean, here in the United States, we have – I don't know if you listened to my subject people show. Did you listen to that show about um, the the sheeple effect where people just had no idea, like, who they were – well, they knew that they were going to vote for people, but they didn't know anything about their politicians and – it was obvious that, that they just didn't really care. They didn't. They were not aware of the world going on outside of their American idol and their distractions and their their entertainment. I mean, is it hard to talk to people in Mexico about politics, or or is there enough of a squeeze that it's making people wake up? When you have a society
1: that is so angry for so long, you would often find very how should I say disrespectful things to say about the government. So people get uh, informed in many ways, thanks to the, thanks to the Internet, thanks to the uh, free ways of, of communication systems. People are getting more aware that, just like everywhere else. So, so, so you can ask any person on the streets here in Mexico, and he will tell you basically the same that this country is so trashed down that that things look even darker than ever and then there is no hope. There is only many people think that there must that that there should be another revolution and, and more fighting. And but but you know just like everywhere, but many people don't realize that fighting and and, and, and having conflicts is not going to solve anything. Because if you are in, just in the case that you win this fight, and you manage to impose your own political leader, sooner or later he's going to get corrupted, because he's going to be dealing with the same system, with the same corporate charts, with the same everything. So people is now, even when they don't know it, they are confused, because they, they know that things are not going to change in, in the long run, if you don't... If something doesn't happen, but that something sometimes is so unclear that people needs to learn, need to learn that there are other possibilities, such as changing the entire system from the ground up. But 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 as I said, people doesn't, not many people know that this is an actual reality. People live so angry, so frustrated, and so accustomed to do. To live like they have their entire life, so they't they don't, they, don't, they don't know any other way but but as I, as I said, there are many people getting more informed thanks to the internet
0: well yeah, I imagine the internet has got to be helping now i mean is it is it hard to get internet down
1: there? Mm, I pay for example, in my case, I pay about thirty dollars every month for my internet connection.
0: Now, is that in Mexican, or were you translating that in,
1: to American? Uh, Was that in
0: Mexican money? Like, is that what you pay down there? It's like
1: $30 yeah, of your money? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's about $30, 30 U.S. dollars. Mm. Compared to Mexico, it's about 400 something. Oh. Okay. So, I would say in the main cities in Mexico, such as the Federal District of Alhara, Monterrey, and many, 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 many other cities, the Internet is now everywhere. I would say that in the poorest communities, in the poorest villages, of course they would have one computer for the whole community, but it's growing more and more every day. Even in in the poorest places in Mexico, such as Chiapas, Guerrero, and and other very, very poor states, there are uh, little communities that that are able to afford a single computer for all of them, right? To media, to to learn, to uh, online courses, and all of that. So it's definitely growing hugely in Mexico.
0: The internet. Yeah, that's good though. I mean, it's it's actually good that it's getting out there because it's you know I mean obviously, without it you wouldn't have even known about the Zeitgeist movement in the first place. Um, uh, Now, that being said, I mean, uh, have you found it to be, you know, how hard have you found it really to be to talk about this topic, the Zeitgeist concept, the Venus Project in Mexico? I mean, are people too apathetic to hear about it? Or, you know, uh, I mean, have you had an easier time? Are people interested? I guess basically what's kind of the vibe in Mexico about this concept of a resource-based
1: economy? So most people I've talked about, it, they seem to understand it quite well. And they, and they uh, w- when, something feel, when something feels right, just like the Sikh Guys movement, it just, it just sounds, it just feels logical. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When, something, when something sounds logical, it, you don't even have to talk for hours in order to convince someone of what's happening and how to deal with it. When uh, I would say about um, 90% of the people I talk about this, uh, this project, they 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 often they often accept it as something good, as something that could that could happen. But a big percentage of them doesn't um, doesn't necessarily understand how it could happen, and uh, as, as I suppose that this happens everywhere. They, they, don't, they don't necessarily look beyond, like I said, they don't, they, don't, they don't look beyond how this could be realized. But I would say more, more, than, more than half a percent of the people I, I talk to about, they, they totally understand it, but don't necessarily do anything about it, like I said before, because they, they are too busy with their jobs, they are they are so used to use the bank to collect their paychecks. They are so used to use their credit cards. They are so used to uh, to to do the normal things that they have done for for many years. So so many people understand it but don't actually know how to participate or or the ways in which they could do something about it. One thing that we that we were talking uh, prior. About the, the elections, one very interesting point is that every time you... you uh, I never... I, I'm 35 years old and I have never voted in my entire life. I think I just went once because it was very close to my, to my, uh, to my neighborhood and I just went there to... Uh, to uh, we call it to cancel your vote. Which means that you that you uh, that you draw a big X all across the the uh, the voting paper. That means that you are not satisfied with any of the uh, politicians that are presented. That that's called canceling your your own vote. And when I there when when I went there to do that, the uh, it is usual to find. Uh, uh, a single person or two standing in line to to make their votes, so I thought that was that was a, a great sign of how this system is decomposing slowly there were There were like twenty people sitting around that they are the judges and the uh, the uh, how do they say it? the uh, inspectors that the uh, that the voting and the elections are are running accordingly to the law. And they were all just sitting there waiting for people to come in and vote. But you could only hear a fly passing by because nothing nothing was happening. <laughs> you know. Right. No no one was showing up. And they you could see how they were flipping the uh the, the, the voting book just to, to uh to add your name there. And you could see pages and pages, blank pages of just a few bolts here and there. So it was pretty interesting to 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 go there for the first time in my life to not bolt. <laughs> actually.
0: No, that's that's interesting. Um yeah, So well you know, this has been a great show and I really want to thank you for coming on tonight. We're actually down to like the last few minutes and um I, I wanna tell you know, please uh, keep in touch with me, let me know when your show gets started and um uh-huh. I really think you should also put that all that that written material you have together in a in, in a kind of an article format, so we can put it in the Zeitgeist movement newsletter and and uh, to to the benefit, you know, since you already are bilingual, you can translate it into two languages when you submit it before we <laughs> save us the trouble of translate it into Spanish. Um, so yeah, because you have a lot of really good information there that I think that most of the world needs to know about. Because I think that Mexico is the test bed for, you know, how they're going to go about destroying every country that they can, um, exactly. you know, economically, to reduce us to slavery. So yes. um, thanks again for being on. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say before the show is over? No,
1: just the same. Uh, you're very welcome. Um, I enjoyed it as well. I, I When I heard your first show for the first time a couple of months back, I was uh, pretty excited, as I told you, that you were so uh, so um, that you made people participate in your show so so fluidly, so flu- with so much fluidity. So I, I was I, I was, uh, beginning to get excited about participating in your show. So I'm I'm so glad I did.
0: Excellent. Well, you know, I'm glad that I had you on. This was definitely a great show topic and I think that we covered a lot of information that I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners have not heard about before. So, um I want to thank you for being on. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to V Radio. Um, please visit v vradio.org, v-radio.org and consider a donation. Um I
1: I'm Yes. <laughs> so the people I love, I love I just love how you say the radioorg <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how do you say that in Spanish? <laughs> I don't even know what hyphen is, man. To tell you the truth. <laughs> a, a hyphen is is a minus. It's like a minus sign. It's the it's the symbol between the V and the radio in my name.
1: Wasn't that a slash or a,
0: or a space or something? The word well, it's I mean like a slash or it could be anything. I guess you could call it a dash. But um, but yeah, I say hyphen because a hyphen is the is the is the word for it. So you know exactly what I meant. You know it's it, oh, not. Okay. A, but it's not a you know a slash or whatever anyway, so but yeah, uh in any case, um <laughs> you know, I'm gonna call that guy again and see if I can get him on my show now that the election is over, maybe he'll have more time but um in, in any case, uh, thank you everybody, for tuning in uh thank you, Mr. Cruz, for being on, and we look forward to hearing from you uh let me know when your new movie comes out, and we'll do a show- we'll do a show about that movie um for sure and um all right thank you everybody um you know please consider uh visiting vradio.org and dropping in a donation you guys are kind of the the only reason i can do this anymore or really even survive anymore um i want to apologize for the brief kind of hiatus that i took um to help you understand um somebody that i used to do radio with uh recently got himself into a lot of trouble, and um, uh, another person that I used to do radio with died uh, just a few days ago, and that's one of the reasons why I've been in kind of a funk. When I take a break from V-Radio, it's generally because I want to make sure that I can continue to offer you the quality that you have come to expect. I could pump out a lot more shows that wouldn't be anywhere near as good, I assure you, I just, it's, you guys have come to expect something from me, and you guys are very generous with your donations, and I'm trying to give you the best possible show that I can. That being said, um, I'm also looking for show topics. This actually show, in particular, was, you know, um, Mr. Cruz contacted me and wanted to do this show, and that's how this show happened. So uh, we're now down to the last 90 seconds. Um, uh, Mr. Cruz, I'm actually going to talk to you a little bit off the air if you're still there. Um, I have a question for you. But um and uh, thanks again everybody. Please visit vradio.org and I will leave you with some parting words from Jacques
1: Fresco and Roxanne Meadows.
2: This is Roxanne Meadows
1: and this is Jacques Fresco.
2: And you're listening to V Radio.